1: Hello, and welcome to the new Books in Food. I'm your host, Jennifer Yirimeva. Have you ever wanted to write a cookbook, thought about starting a food blog, or yearn to be an Instagram influencer, or join the waning ranks of restaurant reviewers? Well, the first step towards any of these aspirations is to get a hold of Will Write for Food, Pursue Your Passion and Bring Home the Dough, Writing Recipes, Cookbooks, Blogs, and More, by Diane Jacob. This was certainly the advice I received when I was getting started in food writing, and I'm deeply grateful for it. I return to Will Write for Food again and again for insight, reassurance, best practices, and information that simply isn't found anywhere else. I credit the book with helping me to hone and refine my approach to food writing and find my writer's voice. It's no exaggeration to call Diane Jacob America's foremost food writing guru. Her book, blog, and informative website are invaluable resources for the aspiring food writer. She's a coach and a cheerleader presenting a smorgasbord of options on how to break into food writing, but also offers valuable and necessary cautionary advice that can help you put on the brakes before leaping into an unnecessary abyss. Will Write for Food will be released this month in its fourth edition, updated to reflect the many changes that have taken place in the world of food writing since it first came out in 2005. And I'm delighted that it welcomes Diane Jacob to the New Books in Food channel. Diane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you. Now, um, the book is in its fourth edition, Will Write for Food, and it's an update of the original book that you first published in 2005. Can we take you back to the initial motivation for writing this guide, uh, which, as I said in my introduction, is really essential reading for those who are interested in the craft of food writing? How did the book come about and how have you kept it so on point and so very relevant for the last 16 years?
2: Oh, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Well, in 2004, I started teaching food writing. I I had been a journalist, um, a newspaper editor, magazine editor, uh, book publishing editor, and uh, I I wrote restaurant reviews on the side, and then I uh, started writing feature articles and recipes, and so I thought, well, I'd I'd love to teach about this subject, because I don't see anywhere that anyone's teaching food writing, so I started, and then I looked for a book on the subject, and there was no book, so... I thought, well, may, maybe I should write one. And so it had the very dull title of how to write about food. Uh, oh, when no. I submitted the manuscript, <laughs> which, um, the publisher and I went around and around on titles. And finally, my agent said, uh, why don't you ask like 20 of your closest writer friends to come up with a better title for you over the weekend? And one of them did. And that's how
1: we got We'll Write for Food. It's perfect. It's a perfect. Title. Yeah. <laughs> and, as,
2: and as for how it stayed relevant over the years, well, you know, things change. Things go in and out of fashion. Um, for example, uh, fine dining was a huge, huge market for food writers when the first edition came out, and it was all about going to you know, expensive restaurants that people were going to take their mothers to on their birthday and telling readers, you know, is this worth your money because it was going to be an investment for them? And what were they going to get? And how could they look ahead and imagine themselves there in a review? Uh, but now in the fourth edition, um, hardly anyone is a, re- is a restaurant reviewer anymore. It's really only the top jobs at a few daily papers and yelp has supplanted your need to find out about restaurants it's very easy to use and there are lots of opinions some of them are suspect but um the role of the one high and mighty usually white man with an expense account who goes to very expensive restaurants is totally outdated
1: that's uh, perhaps that's a good thing I think so. I,
2: think so I mean, I mean here, here in the <laughs> San Francisco Bay area, our restaurant reviewer is Ho, who is a young uh, Vietnamese American woman who uh, was a chef. And she has a completely different take on what kind of restaurant she wants to talk about and what kind of issues she wants to bring up. Mm-hmm.
1: And... And as you started out as a journalist, how how has that informed your approach to to food writing in general, but also into advising others how to get started in it?
2: Well, I think it was just the best background I could have possibly had because the skill that I learned in journalism school, which was basically how to become a newspaper reporter and editor, uh, served me my entire career because uh, everything about it was made for anyone who wants to write nonfiction Um, you have to understand what's news what's a good headline how to write a great introduction to your article uh, how to fact check how to research information how to quote people um, how to do historical research i mean just about any topic in food writing uh, can be aided by some, by journalism skills. And so I realized that people come into food writing from all different ways. They might've been a writer in another field. They might've been a chef. They might've been a caterer. uh, Maybe they're just an enthusiastic home cook and um, they don't necessarily have all these skills. So it's some of the things that I bring up uh, in write for food and in my coaching.
1: And, and it's interesting because, um, as you say, a lot of people do get very excited about the idea of, of writing about food, which does, is rooted in fact. I mean, a recipe is a very um, exact sort of thing. You, If you mess it up, you mess up the recipe. But you also need those um, sort of descriptive and um, highly evocative kind of writing. So you're you juggle lots of different skill sets, I think, in in the food writing world.
2: Oh, definitely. Like, I, I don't think sensuousness in writing was a part of my journalism training. <laughs> 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 you know, if you're covering a court case or a fire, it doesn't necessarily come up. But uh, in food writing, it's an essential part of the job: is to, uh-huh. you know, it's- go with the five senses and get people to be able to taste it and smell it and feel it.
1: And how do you think people can develop that skill set?
2: Well, I do think I think it's a necessary skill, but I also think that it's it's overrated because people get Mm -hmm. really wrapped up in using a lot of adjectives. Um, I mean, first of all, if they're just saying this is delicious and yummy and tasty, that's (laughs) really not (laughs) helpful to anyone. But but even stringing a lot of adjectives together is also not good writing. Like if you talk about the the decadent, fudgy brownie, I don't know that you're really telling anybody something that they don't already know. I, I don't mm-hmm. know that it's helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. If you
2: said cakey, I think it would be helpful because there are different kinds of brownies. I mean, even fudgy, I guess, is okay because... It, you can imagine a cakey brownie, you can imagine a fudgy brownie, and you know they're not the same thing. But right. it, you do have to choose carefully and limit yourself.
1: But your own voice um, is is something I think about a lot because whenever I read Will I for food, I feel like my blood pressure comes down because there's so much encouragement there. But often it kind of spikes up because you uh, are about very much – you, you make a, a real point of – underscoring how competitive an industry this is and I wondered how that balance of voice had developed because it is so uniquely you Um, and I I always emerge thinking yes I can do this Um, but it's just super competitive. (laughs) Tell Uh, me how that voice developed.
2: Yeah well I, I, I mean I try to be very practical and encouraging but I'm also a realist about the situation and you know, if you're going to be one of a million uh, people writing about meatloaf, what are you going to do that's different? That's really the question. And the the best way to to deal with that is, I mean, unless you have like your Sichuan version of meatloaf and your Korean uh, uh, version of meatloaf. Um, really the only other way to differentiate yourself is by having a strong voice and Mm -hmm. a a voice that's recognizable to people as yours.
1: That's fair. I don't
2: think people really get how important it is. If everyone's writing about the same thing.
1: Right. And, and do you, do you find that um, there's, there's a tendency, I think that, that many people have gone very specific, like um, this is the meatloaf blogger. So it's not going to just write a, about one meatloaf, but about every imaginable meatloaf there is. You- <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe that's a new cookbook. I don't uh- It's possible. So, so food blog, we've talked about food blogging, um, but there are lots of ways, your book makes it very clear that there are lots of different ways that you can be a food writer, um, from restaurant reviewing, which you say is on the wane to Instagram influencing, which some people would argue is not writing, um, and the in the book the you go through these all in in a lot of detail, and I noticed that the um, table of contents hasn't really changed uh, since since earlier editions, um, but things have changed a great deal a inside. Little bit. Yeah, um, I think I have I think I have the second edition of Will Write for Food. Yeah, um, it's mostly the same. In the first edition, I had a
2: chapter on writing fiction mm-hmm. because there is a whole genre of food writing fiction. They are murder mysteries called Cozies, and mm-hmm. they have the most fantastic names, like the Butter Did It, um, <laughs> and they're, they're just hilarious, and they have recipes in them. The, the heroine of one series is a caterer, so they're very food-focused, but after a while I realized that my readers were all about nonfiction and weren't really into that, so I got rid of that chapter. Mm-hmm.
1: And what are some of the other changes that you've seen from in the ways that that people are are expressing themselves writing about food since since you first wrote the book?
2: Well, you said that um Instagram is not really food blogging, but I just talked to someone recently who um has a very large following and she uses Instagram like a blog. She mm-hmm. she puts she writes um A head note, and then she writes her recipe right in the blog, right in in the Instagram Mm post. And that's how she goes about it. And when you think of it that way, it's really not that different from a recipe-based blog because there's a photo of the dish, and there's the recipe, and there's some preamble. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess she cuts down on the preamble. So it can be used. Instagram can be used as a blog very successfully, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that, I think what the most important change is who's writing about food. And it it used to be the, the providence of, you know, food writing was very Eurocentric. Um, it was all based on our fascination with French and Italian food and um, fine dining was all, was almost always a French restaurant, sometimes an Italian restaurant, and um, and the writers were pretty much white um, until maybe the last maybe five years, where all kinds of different people are, you know, breaking it have broken into the field and are writing about what's important to them, and we're learning about different kinds of food than just you know, American comfort food and Italian and French food. Um, I mean, people are still obsessed with those foods and that's great. But now we have a wider range. Like mm-hmm. there's a Nigerian cookbook coming out from 10 Speed soon and um, a lot of foods that we really didn't know much about. As you know, more people are uplifted and come to the table.
1: And at the same time, um, there's, there's the rise of this concern about cultural appropriation, which you tackle uh, in the newest edition of the book. We've never been more global about our approach to uh, finding, enjoying, appreciating good food. Um, But we, as food writers, we have to be really careful how we explore this wonderful world of, of different cultures without causing offense. And how do how do you tackle this issue?
2: Well, I think it's about respect that, I think where people get upset is if you, you know, travel to a country and ask people for their recipes and then you publish a cookbook. So you make money off their food, but they are not recognized in any way. They're not part of the book. They're not, I mean, every once in a while you might mention someone, but but basically, it's all food from outside your own experience that you are appropriating for profit.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: that does upset people, and rightly so. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can only write about the food that you grew up with, and that you can't um, you can't talk about anything else. But you have to do it in a way that's inclusive, where you recognize um, who who else was involved and, um, and give credit. And, you know, I had someone write about this on my blog and it struck home for me because I wrote a recipe for a dish that my mother makes. And, I mean, I just experienced it as a kid and loved it and wrote it up. And I haven't published it yet or anything, but I just used that framework to to think about the dish that it came from my childhood, but actually I never thought about, well, where did my mother find out about this dish and who else makes it and Mm. what, who are they? Um, And, it's you know, my mother was born and raised in China and it's a Chinese dish and my mother's not Chinese. Mm. And so it never occurred to me that I should try and figure out, well, is this a dish from her town of Shanghai? And, are there any other recipes online or in books that I where people could uh, explain it? Uh, maybe it has a history? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a good lesson for me too to think more broadly. I wouldn't I wouldn't want uh, a Chinese person to read my recipe and say, hey, you know
1: I ate this my whole life and I don't know <laughs> what she's talking about here. right. <laughs> well and i think in in some ways a lot of the the really good food food blogs do that kind of forensic work um into one kind of cuisine or another that um uh, i'm thinking of a a one about a wonderful um cake maker called the grandbaby cake or something like that and really takes her grandmother's cake recipes and kind of tries to find out you know, where did they come from? What was it, you know, what was the occasion that she would use the cake for? And I I think, I think these are are wonderful um, ways of exploring the world, but I, I, you're right. We have to be super careful about um, not stepping on any toes because as we know, food career, food writing careers have been destroyed. Um,
2: They have, they have People have been fired for offending other people.
1: Right. Um, And quite recently. So um, it's, it's a good idea to, um, to be sensitive. I think, um, food, food seems so universal. And yet, um, people are very, um, are very, they kind of guard their food. I, I know this cause I, I, write about a cuisine that isn't my own. I, I write about Russian food and I often get, you know, feedback and comments like, you know, well, what does this American girl know, um, from some Russian who lives in New Jersey, who ha- left when he or she was seven. I'm like, guy, i been living in Russia for 20 years (laughs) um right so but I understand you know I try to be super sensitive about that as well yeah um
2: it's a sensitive topic a lot of people don't understand why they need to make any effort and think they can write about whatever they want and Mm -hmm. it's an education process um but people do get in an uproar um all the time in my last newsletter I wrote about how um Epicurious stated recently that they were going to stop putting beef recipes on their blog. And I said, it was a great idea. Uh And I'm, I got so many annoyed responses to that. You just wouldn't believe it. Uh,
1: People have really taken against this or for it it, with such passion. um, I was quite surprised. I think, I think it's an interesting idea. Um, And it certainly will set them apart from, you know, all the other large platforms.
2: Well, as David Leibovitz pointed out in his newsletter, there's, you know, Bon Appetit has more than a thousand recipes or Epicurious uh-huh. um, has more than a thousand recipes that use beef on its website. So it's not like you can't find it there anymore. Mm
1: hmm. Just going forward, not they're that not that big not, a deal. Yeah, but
2: it's a, it was a kind of a political statement, and and they got a lot of blowback for that. Uh huh. Because it, it, food can be very political. Absolutely, we were just talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about food blogging because I think a lot uh, a lot of your readers who pick up your book um, are musing over whether to start a food blog or have re reboot one that you know has gone moribund. Um, these can be anything from just personal musings to uh, very complicated six figure businesses. Um, and that's hap- that's kind of exploded in the last decade or so. Um, uh, can you take us through that arc of, of how food blogging just went, became such a big deal?
2: Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. So when my 2010 edition came out, I didn't, was it 2005 or two? I think in 2005, food blogging had just started, and I was still a snobby print person thinking, well, where are the gatekeepers? You know, I have, I have to pitch stories and be edited, and there are all these gatekeepers in print, so where are the gatekeepers in, um, in food blogging where anyone can just put whatever they want online? Uh, so I didn't think I didn't take it very seriously and I left it out of the 2005 edition and then in the 2010 edition whoa it had just gone crazy so many people had started blogs and they were really hot and people were becoming famous from starting blogs and they were starting to get book deals and then I had to donate like uh, 7,000 words to designate 7,000 words or so to writing about this new phenomenon which by then wasn't even that new but um at first it, it was it was really a form uh, i mean a blog is, is is like a diary for a lot of people or at least it was when it first started and you could just talk about what you made or what you ate or where you went and and it was a form of self-expression and it was fun and over the years um First, the first thing that happened was it was just text, and then uh, we then the internet got much more photo centric, and then you had to you had to put photos on your blog, and then you had to take good photos because you couldn't put horrible glossy. Pictures of brown things
1: um, <laughs> into your blog post. I can feel my blood pressure recognize. going up, Diane. I can feel my blood pressure. Oh, sorry, going sorry, up. sorry. Um, no, it's you, true. It's you true. You know, the
2: standards are going up for what was, was an acceptable photo, or what was even a good photo, and then it became much more technical, where people became obsessed with search engine optimization, so that. You know, if, if someone wanted to find uh, a recipe for uh, uh, Sichuan green beans that they put that into the search that your recipe would come up first uh, from your blog. And um, so now it's a big competition to see who can get the highest um, search returns on, on Google and how do you do that. Um, and it's just become more and more technical and more and more business-like as the years go on to the point where, I mean, some people have staff, they have people who write the posts, people who take the photos, uh, people who upload the, the work, um, people who put everything on social media, the person who handles their Pinterest account, um, the per- sometimes even the person who develops the recipe. There are some Facebook groups where you can buy photos of food that might look like something you want to develop a recipe for. And then you just, you know, pay a hundred bucks for a photo and then you don't have to worry about whether you're a great photographer. And mm-hmm. if it's a chocolate donut, then you just develop a recipe for a chocolate donut.
1: So these are complex business. I mean, this is like any other business. It's got lots of different employees handling various aspects of what's really a very multifaceted um Absolutely. thing it's very complex yep. so yes so, and can be very lucrative also right I was just about to ask you like what what does one need to be a successful food blogger apart from you know minions and lots of um, well, good photos I
2: think a lot of these people put in a 60 to 80 hour work week mm-hmm. and um, they juggle you know personal assistants who might live in another country and all kinds of contractors whom they've hired to produce their their blog posts and it's it's really an entrepreneurial business at that point
1: where they're the head of it right Let's um, turn to something that, that is equally um, time-consuming and labor-intensive, which is cookbook writing. Um, you've taught a number of – you teach a lot of courses on this, and full disclosure, I've taken two of them, and I highly recommend them to anyone. Thank um, you. Thinking about writing a cookbook, uh, because you really break it down um, and make into its component parts and, and take away all the sort of um, – mystique about uh, how you get a cookbook, um, out, out to a publisher. But it seems to me that in lockdown, um, everybody has gone back into their kitchens, whether they were into it or not. Um, and they've rediscovered cookbooks. And are you seeing like a huge uptick in, in cookbook publishing as a result of the pandemic? You think it's, this is a good, is this a good time to publish a cookbook?
2: I think so. Well, first Mm -hmm. of all, if you wanted to publish a cookbook today, it probably wouldn't come out for at least two years because that's Mm -hmm. how long it takes to write a proposal and find an agent or um, find a publisher, get a contract, write the thing, get the thing photographed and have it printed. Uh, So it it is a very long process uh, to be traditionally published. Um, If you self-publish, it can be shorter, but you can't, I mean, still has the same kinds of steps.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you just don't have to sell it to somebody because you're doing it yourself. And then that means you're paying all the bills yourself, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's a great time. I mean, any any time is a great time for a cookbook. They're, they're always going to sell. Uh, publishers always want them. And um, especially during the pandemic, since people were cooking more than ever, it was mm-hmm. I think it was, I read an article that said it was It was hard for the new books because the only way to promote them was online and everybody had to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the books that had already been out um, and were well known had a big boost in sales.
1: I think bread books did well.
2: Bread books went crazy. <laughs> Baking books went yeah. crazy. In fact, um, a woman i met decided that she wanted to do a cookbook um and she she pulled people in her in the offices where she worked and and there were offices all over the world so she had you know the the south Asians supply these recipes and the the South, the South Americans do that; those recipes. And, and then when it came to Americans, the only recipes they submitted were baking recipes. Because <laughs> that's what we were all doing. We were all stuffing ourselves with banana bread and sourdough bread. Sourdough bread.
1: <laughs> well, listeners, you heard it here first. What you need to do is actually to write an exercise book because I think we're all coming out of the pandemic with a slightly larger waistline. Um, unless... I, I
2: read that the, the average weight gain was is 29 pounds. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I'm
1: feeling now Now my blood pressure is coming way down because I definitely didn't have this. (laughs) I feel much better. (laughs) (laughs) My husband spent, um, he's not a food writer and he spent the, um, lockdown riding his Peloton bike every day for six months. Um, so that, you know, he, his waistline looks great. Um, Mm -hmm but okay so it's so it's probably a good good time to to write a cookbook what about the role of social media i know that that a lot of um people who have big big social media accounts turn to cookbook writing um do do you need to have tons and tons and tons of followers and what how do you define tons well yeah
2: this is a really heartbreaking subject for a lot of people (laughs) uh This is the one where your blood pressure is going to go up. But Mm -hmm. yeah, typically, publishers are looking for someone who already has a built-in following for their book. So if you're on social media day and night and you are obsessed with um, Chinese flatbreads and that's all you talk about day and night and you build a huge following because other people love Chinese flatbreads and want to make green onion pancakes and everything else. Um, then if you grow your following, then yes, you do start to look attractive to a publisher who thinks, Oh, you know, she could write a book on this subject. Um, but what the number is, I, I don't, as big as possible is the number that <laughs> publishers like. Um, a, a woman emailed me recently to say that she has an Instagram account and an agent called her and said she could get her a deal at Simon & Schuster to write a cookbook and did she want it? Mm. Wow. Um, and that just blew me away. I didn't know you could get a book deal like that, but uh-huh. apparently you can. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, but mo- okay. most of us are not in that category. Right. So it's more of a struggle to build any kind of a following.
1: And when we say we're, we're using um, social medias, we're sort of lumping them all together. Is there one platform that is more suited than others, in your opinion? Well, right now, Instagram is really
2: hot. Mm-hmm. Uh but you know, before that pinstagram, pin, pin, pinstagram. <laughs> Instagram Instagram <laughs> Yeah, those are the two platforms for bloggers, or pin, right. Instagram. <laughs> <That's> Pinterest <great. laughs> drives a tremendous amount of traffic.
1: It to does. food blogs
2: and it then, does. <clears throat> Instagram is a way to grow your following. Of course, both of them rely on great photography, so mm-hmm. uh, that's part of the problem. So you don't think you think you can just write about food and that's it. But actually, you have to understand marketing and promotion and social media and photography and search engine optimization and how to use hashtags and ten billion other subjects that you mm-hmm. think, oh, well, what does this have to do with anything? I just want to write my recipe for pupusas. you know. Uh-huh. And you, it's not quite that simple.
1: Right what about something that that doesn't rely so heavily on um, social media such as uh, memoir me, you know uh, or the, the travel slash um, cookbook which I think is very popular now you've seen a lot of these books that like red sands is um, a fusion of travel with food how do, how do you feel about that aspect? I, I don't think you
2: can escape. Building a social media following, mm-hmm. no matter what kind of book you have, it's part of it's just part of the job. Mm-hmm. Sadly, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who really hate the idea um, and don't want to do it, but basically they need to they need to figure out how to enjoy it.
1: Uh huh. Because it can be fun. I mean, I, I spent some time over the last weekend, uh, my Pinterest account was just a mess. And I decided to spend some time cleaning it up and reorganizing. And oh, and I, all along the way, I, I found all these new writers that I hadn't heard of and got some new recipes for Asian noodles. And just it was it was blast. Um, but it's super time consuming. Oh, um, well, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And it's not if you're going to take it seriously, it's not something you can do while you're watching Schitt's Creek or something.
2: No, and no. and you can farm it out. I mean, I I had a client who was a Chinese uh, Chinese food blogger, and she farmed out her Pinterest page to some kind of virtual worker in another country. And I went to it, and and all of a sudden there were recipes on there that were not Chinese. Mm. And so mm. I asked her, "What's going on with your Pinterest page?" She said, "Oh, but however, however, her." following had was a couple hundred thousand Mm -hmm. um and and so i said what's going on in your pinterest page just happened to go there the other day and there are all these recipes that aren't even chinese and she said oh haha that's my virtual assistant i guess she got off topic but look look how big my following is so i don't really care Mm. so
1: there you go there you go okay so so (laughs) good to know so you don't have to just obsess over meatloaf you can expand out from meatloaf you can also do brisket exactly okay <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> but um it's not all all um it's not all uh, about social media you still talk about um in the book you talk about the waning ranks of people who write for newspapers and magazines and there we have the issue of the gatekeepers who are still in place uh, and i wonder if you talk a little bit about how to break in there uh, what you what you see is changing, um, and what your best advice might be.
2: Well, in the old days, you could um, you could get a job at a newspaper as a writer, or at a newspaper or magazine as a writer. Um, there was a time, maybe in the '80s, I had a staff of fifteen people um, mm-hmm. when I was a magazine editor, and most of them were writers. Um, but these days, all those people are freelance pretty much. And the editor is the employee who, um, solicits and, and, uh, accepts freelance work. So they, as a result of that, they are just drowning in billions of emails and Mm -hmm. it's harder than ever to get their attention if you want to pitch a story. So. You have to really understand the publication and what they want, and how they might, um, you know, position a story for their publication versus how a different magazine would position it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you have to break through all that to uh, to get your email read. It's hard, right?
1: Or get noticed on Instagram.
2: Yes, you can you you can become <laughs> oh no um, you can become uh, known on social media to the point where an editor might contact you and say hey why don't you write an
1: article for me hmm that happens too right and if someone's just starting out and says oh you know I don't have a big following and um, you know I'm not really confident about my writing what are, what are some of the first steps that you advise?
2: Well, they can start by starting a blog because mm-hmm. in the beginning, no one reads it except your mother <laughs> and your,
1: you know, your, your
2: relatives and your best friend maybe. And it's a good way to play around. Mm-hmm. Um, but your, your first step is not a book. And mm-hmm. people often write to me and say, I'm ready to write a book. Um, and it's the first thing they want to do, and they want me to help them get a publisher. And I, I, you know, publishers publish books that have writing in them. And so mm-hmm. they want someone who is a published writer to write the book most right. of the time, mm-hmm. unless you're famous. And then you have to hire someone who knows how to write, to write the book mm-hmm. for you or with you or rich, um, so it's really not a good place to start because it's, you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm.
1: And what what do you see on the horizon? I mean, what if when we talk about the fifth edition of Will Write for Food? Oh my gosh! Say <laughs> so five would be, years' I would time, I will be very
2: elderly. Oh. Um, I may be retired. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But if it's really not. not. Surely
1: not, <laughs> <I'm> still... <laughs> Diane. You can't I'm retire here. because nobody does what you do, so you have to stay working. <laughs> oh my God, uh-huh.
2: um, that's a good question. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the next big thing is going to be. I uh-huh. just know that we all have to pay attention to it. Like for example, I'm not on TikTok. Um, I joined Clubhouse because. Someone told me I had to. It might have been David Leibovitz. He's very he he he's very good at giving me advice Mm -hmm. about how I should be on top of things. Like he is, he seems (laughs) to be on top of everything at all times.
1: Yeah, Um, his his Instagram cocktail (laughs) hours got a lot of us through the the lockdown. Yes, yes, they were great for sure.
2: But you know what? That was that was a pivot. In book, pro- in book promotion, when his mm-hmm. book on cocktails came out, mm-hmm. we were in a pandemic. And it was one of the first books to come out during that time. And nobody knew really what to do. So he just decided, I'm going to have a cocktail hour six days a week. And mm-hmm.
0: um, do it live. <laughs> and
2: I mean, that was a lot of work. And it's, yeah. it's not like he was a TV personality. I mean, he's a cookbook mm-hmm. author. hmm and uh, his uh, his partners uh, co-starred in some of them, and now apparently his partner has his own fan club. Home oh yeah, it. and um, and he was super successful at it, and he he did it for a month, I think, mm-hmm. um, six days a week, live, and I'm sure it took over his whole life for a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a really ingenious way of um, you know figuring out how to make the most of. Book promotion during the pandemic. You
1: know, you mm-hmm. had to go,
2: you had to go um, online and, and be
1: live. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a good lesson there that that you have to you have to be nimble and you have to be able to pick up the new technology, but you also have to stick to it. I mean, there's there's a dogged quality to I think the most successful food writers who just have to churn it out every you know three days or so. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a weekly column, and I don't always want to write it, but um, exactly. I'm really—I adore looking back at the archive because it's just voluminous at this point. Um, oh, that's and it's, terrific! Yeah, and it, it it's something to be very proud of. But you know, you don't always want to—you um, don't always want to roll up your sleeves and get out the flower and you know <laughs> get to work. <laughs> right,
2: but that's what's good about a blog, especially if you say, "I'm going to write something every Tuesday," then. Yeah. You know you you are exercising your writing ability and you're improving and for David after a whole month of doing instagram where he had to be live and pretty much unrehearsed he was a lot better at doing live events mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so he can now he started doing them again you know six months or a year later mm-hmm. and uh, he's really good at it so yeah. so that was a big learning curve that he jumped into and that's something i would like to be better at is Mm -hmm. just saying okay time to learn this i'm going to jump in because i'm usually like well i don't have time for that i don't know if this is going to be anything or not i've got all these excuses and um It takes me a long time to learn something new
1: (laughs) (laughs) well there's and there's so much i mean i just i can't even face the notion of tiktok i really can't i just uh, that's one no Um, yeah i mean what are you gonna do on tiktok i i can't figure out what i would do uh, yeah i'm not sure but that feta and cherry tomato thing went i mean globally viral oh the, the, the that was pasta, right? The yeah, it was yeah, like you, you roast the cherry. I mean, I, I've been roasting cherry tomatoes for pasta for like a millennium already yes. now. And exactly. some you know, TikToker puts some feta cheese in it and boom, you know, it's a movement.
2: It's a, Yeah, it was a huge fab. Yeah. yeah anyway,
1: um, but tell me what's what's next for you. You've written a number of books on pizza, which are excellent. Um, oh, or you've co-authored <laughs> them. Um, I co-authored them.
2: The uh, chef's, the chef's recipes were excellent, not mine. Uh huh.
1: But, but is there you. is there another pizza book in the in the offing? Oh or? No, no, no. We, you know, um,
2: I think I made two hundred and seventy five pizzas, and <laughs> my husband was very happy. Um, most of the time, I think we did get to, to pizza overload if that's possible. But, Uh um, yeah, no, I didn't eat pizza like for two years after that, Uh that that was enough for me. No, not a cookbook. I've been trying to work on more personal stuff. Um, it's really hard. It's different. Um, it's a different kind of writing and Uh I, I, I still don't think I know how to do it very well. So I'm, I'm still working on it. It's a long project.
1: Do you find, I mean, I, a lot of writers I've spoken to during the pandemic have said that it's been very hard to settle down to, you know, a, a big passion project that, you know, you can churn out the the stuff that is on deadline, but, you know, a book or a, you know, a big personal essay is just really, really hard. Have you found that um, to be the case?
2: Well, it's always hard to try to figure out how to shoehorn a a new project in, into your work life mm-hmm. uh, because you're busy and you don't have time um, mm-hmm. or maybe you think you have time, but <laughs> but then you have all this anxiety about starting this new project and you procrastinate and um, it can be overwhelming. I like the advice that someone gave me a long time ago where he said, just do it for 15 minutes a day. Mm. And, That was a way of breaking it down for me and not feeling like it was going to take over my life. Mm -hmm. And then once I started doing it for 50 minutes a day, I thought, wow, this is really fun. And then I was able to devote more time to it and really enjoy it and get into Uh it.
1: I think that's right. Um, I, 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 for one location means a lot to me, so I would love to like go to the library um, three times yeah. a week and just work on something, but that's not that's not possible quite yet, but we'll <laughs> no. hopefully get there. <laughs> um, well, the
2: first edition of A Right for Food, um, I think I got the deal, book deal in the spring, and it was due in November, and then my mother died in July.
0: Mm, I'm sorry. And
2: I was just a total basket case, and my I remember my agent like made me go for a walk with her to get me out of the house and was trying to give me a pep talk because no. I hadn't written anything and it was August and I ended up writing uh eighty thousand words in four months. Oh my and goodness. Interviewing seventy five people. Oh my lord. <laughs> and- <laughs> And I could do that because I had my journalism training. I was just you know, about where to
1: say it gets back to your journalist <laughs> base,
2: doesn't it? Where, where we had deadlines and we had to uh-huh. turn in work. Um, right. But I, I don't think most people ever want to be in that situation.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
2: And uh, yeah, I just you just had I just had to stop doing everything else and only do that.
1: Uh huh. Well, um, that's probably, um, a good, a good note for us to, to end on, but, um, this has been a great interview, Diane. Thank you so much for taking the time. So much fun. Thank you, Jennifer. But listen, before we go, um, where can our listeners find you online and, um, social media?
2: Well, they can go (laughs) to dianej.com, D-I-A-N-N-E-J.com and, uh. You can see all my social media icons there. On Twitter, I'm at Diane J, D-I-A-N-N-E-J. On Instagram, I'm Diane M. Jacob, J-A-C-O-B. And I don't, I, can, I can't do Pinterest. It's just too much. Um, <laughs> okay. I have a Facebook page. Uh, I try to be everywhere. I have a free newsletter for people yes. who are interested in food writing. And people can and, sign up
1: for that on your website, I think.
2: Yes, they can, and I have uh, excellent newsletter, blog, twice a month. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yep, it's kind of hard to.
1: Okay. So everything. A lot of different parts. Excellent. Well, that's great. So again, uh, listeners, the book is "Will Write for Food: Pursue Your Passion and Bring Home the Dough," writing recipes, cookbooks, blogs, and more. Now in its fourth triumphant edition, published by Hachette <laughs> Books by Diane Jacob. Diane, thank, thank you, you so much. much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. Thanks, Jennifer.
1: Very fun. Take care. I'm your host, Jennifer Yerimeva, and I'll be back soon to speak with another author about a new book. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks. Take care.